You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. In July 2023, our Manhattan companies responded to a report of a crane on fire on top of a building under construction. Upon arrival, units found a construction crane that had been in operation burning 45 stories up. As companies were still responding, the boom, which had 16 tons of concrete attached, failed and struck another high-rise building before landing in the street below. With us today to talk about this operation are the two initial chiefs on scene, Battalion Chief Anthony Pascicello, Battalion 9, and Battalion Chief Mark Rosenbaum, Battalion 8. Welcome, guys. Good morning. All right. Thanks for coming down. Chief Pascicello, this is officially, you're now our most frequent guest here on uh, <laughs> our man on the street in Midtown Manhattan. So we know where you work. You're still in uh, Battalion 9 as you've yes. been in the past, uh, right in the heart of it. Across town, Battalion 8, we have uh, Mark Rosenbaum. Good morning. Happy to have you here. Uh, I, it's actually my first time meeting you. I didn't realize you're one of the most senior battalion chiefs in Manhattan, uh, with the exception of Tom McCarthy down in the 7th. Everybody's younger than Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> with the podcast, we start off start with the bio, where it started, where you worked, when you came on. I got on in 1985. I was appointed to uh, Engine 17 on the Lower East Side. Quickly moved across the floor to Ladder 18 and worked there until 2001. 2001, uh, I got promoted. A couple months later, uh, we all know what happened in September. I went back to the 1st Division, got assigned to 10 Truck. 2001, 2002, and 10 Truck was a very difficult but rewarding time. I enjoyed my time there immensely. I got promoted, became the captain of Engine 3 in Chelsea. And uh, when I got promoted, I ended up in the 3rd Division. And I've been in the 8th Battalion since 2006. Well, talking about Manhattan operations, we couldn't have a better guest right now. Then. So this is an interesting one. We've had crane collapses in the city. Chief Rosenbaum was there in 2008. We had a really tragic one. The crane collapsed fully onto an occupied uh, multiple dwelling. And then there have been other ones. Dern Sandy, again, Chief Rosenbaum, was, was working for that one, he said. Chief Pascicelli, you were the first new chief. Yes. You were responding. It's on the west side. Walk us through. You know, it's a rush hour response, sure. 7.30 in the morning, because that yep. affects operations, too. Absolutely. We were on the road already. We had just taken up from an automatic alarm on 57th Street. Ladder 4 had already taken up, and a short time later, I heard their siren. And I said, oh, the truck must have picked up another run. So I had looked on the, um, the MDT to see where they were going, and it was an unusual assignment. It was a 3-2 and two response, but no battalion chief on it for a structural. And I said, ah, let's start heading you know, west and see what goes on. So just as I was ready to call the dispatcher, a ticket came up. And the ticket said West 40 Street and 8th Avenue for a crane on fire. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of an unusual spot there. I'm like, we don't really have too many cranes in that location. So in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's like a, a knuckle boom crane delivering some kind of building materials or maybe it's overheated or something to that effect. As we were responding south on 7th Avenue and we were approaching Times Square, the dispatcher hit the alert tone and started advising units that they had a change of location to West 40 Street and 10th Avenue. And he kind of indicated they had multiple calls on it. So now I figured this is definitely something that's going to uh, uh, amp everything up. And as we approached 8th Avenue, I looked up in the sky and I could see a tower crane and it was on fire. So with that, I transmitted a 1075 initially. I figured, let me just get units started. But looking at it, I could tell it was a, a high-rise building, that it was a tower crane, that it was really kind of freestanding at, at some point above the, the... How far above would you approximate that the, I was, the crane was burning? I was guessing anywhere from 40 to 50 stories. 
And how far above the building was the crane? Uh, at least five floors that I that I okay. could anticipate because right. it was a significant height. I, I put it at between 75 and 100 feet. Right. Not that okay. far up. Yeah. Right. yeah well, that's a good thing in a way because yep. it lessens the exposure, immediate exposure problems. Now, Correct. Of course, that's before the boom collapsed. Right. Our past experience with cranes have been a major incident with multiple casualties, et cetera. So it, it encompasses a lot of work to be done. So what I did was I, I then told the dispatcher to have a PD official of a lieutenant or higher meet me at the command post because I felt we were going to start evacuating a significant area in anticipation of a collapse. Yeah. Again, just working off of our prior experience, I felt if it was going to collapse, it would be a catastrophic like we had in the past where the whole tower and everything would come down. Now my thought is, how are we going to get water on this? It's a building under construction, so the fire suppression system may not be fully functional. Or there may be a long delay if it's a dry system. And the building under construction brings a whole set of challenges. Oh. Well. A whole nother set, which is a, an operation in itself. Yeah. So when I looked straight across, I saw this uh, high-rise building across the street from the fire building, and it was higher up than where it was. Like, I, I anticipated the roof level and the crane sort of around the same height. I, I knew that Engine 54 had a little mini large-caliber stream in their cache on the rig. I didn't see them in the vicinity, so I didn't know how far out everybody was. So I, I used the mobile radio in the car because that's a 25-watt radio. And I told them, I want you, when you arrive, bring that mini monitor to this high-rise across the street on 10th Avenue. And when you get there, I want you to begin an attack from the highest point that you can to put water on that fire. It always comes down to water on the fire. You know, water on the fire makes everything much better. And so stuff, your you know? reasoning was then... You didn't trust the stability of the crane no. to go into the building on construction at that point. Right. And I didn't know how long it would take us to get that line in operation. So I figured that building looked reasonably occupied and, and sufficient that we would at least get water somehow across there as, as soon as possible. So as we were doing that, we had just crossed uh, Dyer Avenue where the tunnel was. And... I'm sizing it up. I kind of, in my mind, was hoping to try to do like a complete 360 to see everything. To me, it looked like, it basically looked like a van on fire in the sky. And I'm thinking like, how are we going to put this out? And as I was doing that, you know, it was a hot morning. So we had the air conditioner on, the windows were closed. And I started seeing people running and yelling. Never a good sign. No, no. that's not and a good then, sign. And then it got awfully dark. And then I started hearing a roar. My aide had just said to me, where do you want me to park? And I said, let's make the turn onto 10th Avenue. You know, I was anticipating a zone, and I said, let's stay out of the zone and also stay away from the hydrants. And just as we were doing that, I could feel stuff hitting the car. It felt like snow almost, you mm -hmm. know? And I knew with all the yeah. people running, I knew. I said, it's coming down. I didn't know what was coming down. My thought was the whole boom was letting loose and we were going to get crushed under it. We heard this tremendous roar and crash. We could only make our way to 42nd Street because traffic was already stopped. Yeah, it's rush hour. Right. He made a hard U-turn and we were facing south and then I could see the whole destruction. I saw what happened. I saw that the arm had fallen off. I asked my aide, I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. We jumped out of the car and then one of the first units had started giving a, a report that they had injured members. So what I did was... I hit my alert, emergency alert beacon on my handy talkie, and I told everybody, let's just do a quick roll call to make sure we have everybody. Because after our vehicle had stopped, I had seen Rescue 1's rig turned. Ladder 4 was already positioned, but I saw their chauffeur. I didn't know if we had anybody that was crushed yeah. or missing or seriously injured. So we did a quick roll call. We had some minor injuries, but nobody critical at this point. I didn't know the condition of our units. So what I did was I transmitted a second alarm. I advised that, that we had a collapse of the crane arm and that uh, have all the units, you know, use caution coming in. And then right from that, Engine 54 comes walking across the street with their equipment, and I just pointed to the building that I, I wanted them to go to, 
And I said, that's the building you got to get water on the fire. I mean, as an out-of-borough chief, if, if I saw a crane collapse, I wouldn't have been able to say 1060 fast enough. Yeah. But I, Well, actually, no. I take that back. I would have said, you got to be kidding me, and then 1060. But I see where you're going with this. You, you said that the dispatcher, did they prompt you? On, no, with? they had already on their end put a, a collapse matrix on the ticket. Yeah. Once, once I told them what transpired with the collapse, they did that automatically on their own, which was great because it just took that part of it off of my plate. That's why our dispatch is so great. I know I appreciate it more and more as I became a chief for longer, you know, just how much of a team you all are. I used to say, you know, it's just me and the aide as a team, but really it's you, the aide, and the, and the dispatcher because yep. our dispatchers are so good. And yep. whether it comes in the form of a prompt, mm -hmm. you know, whether from your aide or, or the dispatcher, or sometimes you just assign yep. based on what the, it seems the incident needs, because that's an extremely overwhelming event. You have so many things going through your head. Right. Yeah, you're, you're trying to process everything, you know, but there's a point where you just kind of have to take a, a mental second and say, okay, this is what happened. Let's figure out a game plan and let's get to work. You All know right. what I mean? Just to be clear how we operate in the New York City Fire Department, the initial IC is the first two battalion chief. He remains the IC until the deputy chief comes on scene, then he becomes the operations second chief. And we have a second chief assigned the fire sector supervisor. In this instance, it was Chief Rosenbaum from across town. Tell us about, upon arrival, uh, your me initial meeting with uh, Chief Pascicello. I heard your response when the, the boom collapsed. I didn't hear exactly what you said, the tone of your voice, right? And I looked over at uh, Dave Ofito, who was driving me, and I said, uh, forget 57th Street, we're going to 40th Street. Flipped on the lights, and we went south. As we were going, you came on and said how uh, 10th Avenue was closed. You recommended that people come south off of 10th Avenue, so uh, we went right to 10th Avenue. We went across uh, 51st Street to 10th Avenue, and we just cruised right down against traffic. Uh, after a couple blocks, there was no traffic whatsoever, and I could see the boom laying in the street. And uh, when I looked up, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> that wasn't the word I used, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, the first thing I'm thinking is I don't want to put us in any collapse area. So we actually stopped at, like, 42nd Street. Put my gear on, was trying to survey what was going on, looking around at the, the surrounding area. Had the radio on, and I was kind of eyeballing you as I was Did you guys find each other? Oh, yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. It was great. Um, I walked up right around the same time as the, as the 7th. John Gormley was in the 7th. Yep. I was looking at, you know, what you did and what you needed to be done. You did something that, um, that I've been telling since uh, every time I've told the story. You looked at me and John. You tried to figure out what to do, and you said, I'll tell you what. The both of you go into the building under construction and find out what needs to be done and let me know. And that worked out great yeah. because you know, of all the stuff we've studied, there, yeah. isn't, there isn't a single word about what to do when a crane falls out of the sky. So... Uh, we went inside. Me and John looked at a couple of things, but you know we bounced things off of each other, and then we went from there. So you're making your way up. I know you sectored it, and the deputy chief came on in. They put the multiversal, we'll call it, from across the street. But I want to focus on your operations in the, the building and construction, because that's our concern, right? Anybody that's studied, we all know, right? You want to know when that's most recently, the floor has been poured. In this instance, it was in progress, so you knew. So stability is a question. There's a problem with the wooden formwork, you know, the open ventilation, all the open access, which could create a fire, had there been some extension. But didn't seem like that was the instance. So I'm going to guess your, your focus was on stability of the, of the building slash crane. Well, the first thing that I was thinking when Anthony said, 
he wanted us to go into the building was, how am I getting to the building safely? I was able to find a, a construction worker, and I just asked him, hey, how do you get into this building? Because with the security now, you can't just walk into a construction site. You've got to find the way in and the way out. The construction worker told me it was uh, on the corner of 10th and 41. And I look, and that's exactly where the crane was, right above 10th and 41. <laughs> Is there another access? <laughs> and I'm just looking. I was across the street. I'm trying to determine whether or not I'm going to run around the block or go straight into the entrance because it was locked. So the door opened, and another couple of construction workers coming out. I just said, hold that door open. We just ran. We ran underneath, you know, kind of looking up, watching what was there, and, and ran underneath. And we got into, into the construction site. So once we were in there, I was like, okay, we, we jumped that hurdle. Right. Now, one of the things when you work in a high-rise area that goes through your head, you know, everybody thinks about water. We also got to think about transportation, how are we getting there. 500 feet above the sidewalk, how are we getting up there? And um, I asked where the construction lift was. And they pointed out that it was on the, uh, the one side of the building. And it was clear that it wasn't going to work because the boom had hit it. So you, you have no, there's no elevators at this no. point. No. So now nah, it's just a matter of humping it up. So, uh, you know, we just started going up. And it was a hot day. Yeah. You know, getting up as quick as you can. As you were making your way up, you mentioned earlier the stability of the crane was in your mind. Were you able to check so, that because it was open? Were you able to get close enough? So it's the early stages of construction with this building. Nothing was closed in. You know, they were still pouring. What do they got? About five more floors to go on this yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Everything was, was wide open. And on the lower floors from like one to about 30, was just normal, normal stairs. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And we were climbing up it, but... Uh, I was getting out looking for the tiebacks. Again, haven't been around long enough. We've seen these things. And when you talk about the tiebacks, explain to our audience. So the structure of the crane, of the tower cranes, when they go up the exterior of the building, they're tied into the building, which keeps them from, you know, gives them stability. But they're like every eight, ten floors. Yeah. And it's, it's not standard. It, you know, yeah. I, I've been looking at them since then. Every time I see a crane, I look back, <laughs> oh, how, how many floors they got between these there? But um, as I'm going up, you know, I'd get out every once in a while and, and look and see if I could get next to the, uh, the side and, and see above me or below me if the tiebacks were secure. They seemed secure, and I think that was my transmission, mm -hmm. you know. I think the yeah. tiebacks are secure. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking at bolts. Yeah. You know, I'm looking to see if it's been torn away from right, the concrete. Right. Obvious damage. Right. You know, it, it seemed all right, and that's, that's, that's the best I can give you as we were going up. I was also, I wasn't doing it, but when we got up to the top, I wanted to make sure that the floors themselves were searched because I saw that the yeah. boom, at this point, I didn't realize yeah, the boom had banged off the building across the street and came back. I thought it just fell straight down. Right. But um, I wasn't sure, did something come down and, and injure some construction workers inside the building? So yeah. that was one of the concerns that I was looking at. Were you able to get up to the top floor? So the staircases that were going to eventually be the exit staircases were intact until about 30. They had railings, to, you know, building under construction, but the yeah. core was, was in place. Once you got above there, there were no handrails. Some of the staircases were open. You know, it wasn't enclosed yet. You could see, like, as you were getting up, it was getting less and less completed. When you got to 40, there were no staircases left. We had, to, we had to go up ladders, yeah. temporary ladders, you know, two-by-fours nailed together, what the construction workers used to get to where they have to go. When we got to the last couple of floors, they were supported, just like you read in the bulletins. Yeah, sure. Eight by eight, four by four. Everybody at this, at this point now, now, you don't see a lot of exclusively wood. They have they yeah. have metals. Right, yeah. They right, have right. column yeah. jacks and columns. They rewrote yeah. that safety bolt. Yeah, it's changed right. out a little bit. It's gotten a little more modernized. Yeah. It's still it's still the same principle. Yeah, and you know, kind of laughing because from like four floors below, you know, they were very spaced out. And by the time I got up to one floor below, they were right next to each other. <laughs> you climbed up and you were on the top. It was the deck. 
it was all laid out with a grid of rebar. Mm. From there, you know, blue sky, 100 degrees, sun was pounding on us, and the crane was, crane was going. Did you see any potential exposure hazard to that building in the immediate? Did, no, it was um, 75 to 100 feet yeah, above okay. the deck. Right, that high. So the fire itself wasn't a problem. It was basically a large tractor trailer fire in the sky. And you just figured you had your best vantage point to hit it from there? The units on exposure one, from the roof of exposure one, or the setback, whatever they had, they had a looked like a hand line that wasn't even reaching, and they, they, I assume the other one was a multiversal. So so what happened with that was um, 54 engine put that initial large caliber stream into operation. Yeah. And I think that the tip they were using was a one-inch tip. Yeah. And it was flowing, but speaking to those members later, what they said was the wind up there. You know, you're talking 56 floors oh, up, yeah. so the yeah, wind yeah. is all over the place, and you're going across a major avenue. So they were constantly adjusting, and initially, too, there was a glass railing. Where, where they set up was a, uh, an outdoor, like, deck area and it was like a glass railing around the upper portion of it so what they did was they ultimately had to get a forcible entry saw up there later and cut the support on that and then once they put it down on the uh, structure itself it was a, a little bit more manageable but they had to because of the wind keep moving it so then the other problem with that was it was only being fed off of the building supply off the building pumps it took a while for us to augment that system because you had to be careful where the placement was as far as a collapse zone so yeah, because the boom hit it. Right, so absolutely. It's right in the collapse. So, so what happened was the pressure was a little bit off, but it was putting some application on. In fact, I'll tell you how quick they did it. We kind of had like an initial quick command post at the corner of 42nd and 10th on the uh, northwest corner. It was myself, Division Three, and, and a couple of the staff chiefs showed up, borough commander and everything. And when they showed up, they, they pointed. They said, who's got water on this? And I was like, oh, it's 54 engine. They were like, oh, so we're, we're starting an attack. And I'm like, yeah. I had sent in engine 54, squad 18, and engine 26. And I had directed them to work on putting that initial LCS into operation. But in, what In the exposure. Yes, yeah. from across the street at the building on 10th Avenue. So what happened later was as the, the initial uh, large caliber stream was set up, 26 engines set up their two and a half, and together they were using the two. But there was a problem with that. Because the system wasn't augmented, it was kind of robbing water, one from the other. So that's why you see the two streams, and it's kind of like starting to not hit the objective. Once the system was augmented and we had good pressure, they added a half-inch outer stream tip, you know, our, our little overhaul tip. They put that on, and that gave you even more reach. So, again, it was kind of trial by fire. And ultimately, we had to supply that building with two pumpers on two different fire department connections. You obviously sectored that early on. You had yes. a chief up there. Six battalion took that building as a sector, correct. What was the damage to that building? Was it, I, was it had, a glancing blow? It seemed like yeah, it hit the Yeah, it, it was a glancing blow. You know, we had a report so from- Tell that to the lady whose apartment got glanced. Yeah, one, one apartment, we had, you know, reports of people trapped. Lattice 7 searched it and they said, no, there's nobody trapped. Everybody's out. It's just a structural issue as far as the debris in a precarious way and everything. But overall, we were okay, thankfully. Like I said, it suffered some some facade damage and some other parts of it, but overall, it was it was okay. That wasn't yeah. an easy concern. And to when deal you with. see from the video, it swung back and hit the correct the, the crane itself yep. below the crane, and that mm -hmm. had to be a concern. Yeah, I had no idea that it hit the building across yeah, the street I until either. I got up to the roof and I saw the damage over there. Right. I just sort of fell straight down. Yeah. You know, it makes sense that the cables failed, right? You know, especially with the 16 tons on that. And that's what, that's what catapulted it. That 16 tons of concrete kind of acted as a pendulum. So, so what happened was the fire was impinging on the main cable that holds that structure, that raises and lowers the, mm -hmm. the jib arm. 
I mean, this is unbeknownst to us, you know, at the time of. What we've been doing is in, in talking to people within the crane industry on how, how this happened. Now it makes sense once we understand the fire impinged on that main cable. Once that cable failed, the force and the, the, and the weight load. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, just, it just took it. But it was unusual because it catapulted across the street, hit the building, and then came back over. Because well, probably there was a cable still attached, I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah. That yeah. part of it, the load, the cement load, was still attached to it. And it caused it to basically ride down the exterior hoist elevator structure and landed where it did. The command post is getting busy now. Yeah, so what happened was several concerns. Do we have all these construction workers accounted for? Because there's so many scattered through out. I didn't know if anybody potentially got crushed underneath. We're looking at the potential of the tower itself, how it would collapse at a 90-degree angle, and I see a hotel across the street. Luckily, there was a police official early on. He goes, there's a hotel there. I said, you guys are in charge of evacuating that, and that just took that right off our plate. The staff chiefs arrived. They said, we got to get our command post out of the zone. We said, 10-4, you know, because now we started having units arrive, and uh, what we did was we did a quick direction of units, and then we started moving the command post south to 40th Street out of the collapse zone, and then once we did that, then we had a good handle on things. Things were starting to really move then, you know. It was basically Mark and John calling me, we need this, we need that, and then we could yeah, just Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to focus on, like, all yep. right, so. Yeah, yep. whenever I'm in a building and they start moving the command post farther away, I get a really <laughs> bad feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a red flag. We're using binoculars, that's a bad sign. You still sign. need us up here, don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, it's not a good feeling, I, I agree. Mark, you're up there. You're getting a look at you and the seventh battalion, John Gorley, getting a look at what's going on. You figure the best vantage point is to is to get a lineup. There. Well, yeah. So now I got trucks trying to do primary searches to make sure that there's nobody injured in the building. I've got two engine companies at the top with me, and we had a clear shot from the uh, the two three corner of the building. We had a clear shot at it. It was a diesel fire. The, the diesel engine was on fire. From where I was looking, the water coming across the street from 10th Avenue from uh, from the multiversal across the street. It was hitting the top of the vehicle, but it wasn't hitting the, the source of the right fire, yeah. It was kind of like trying to put a car fire out, you know, without opening the hood. They were keeping the fire down, but it was it was just coming from the, the engine compartment. Luckily, the angle that the crane was at gave us a clear shot at an open panel right at what was burning. So we had two engine companies. I told them to get a line. They were already in the process of trying to find out how they were going to supply water if we needed it. They found out that the top of the standpipe ended at the 40th floor. We were on what was like 44. They went down, they hooked up, they hand stretched the line up through the ladders, up through the holes, and we get it up to the roof. Before I put them in place, I had Rescue One with me. We would have had to have the nozzle team really close to the edge. The only thing between the deck and the sidewalk was that cheap orange uh, plastic netting. So, uh, I, yeah, I asked the rescue if we could you know, tie these guys down. So they found a substantial object. They hooked up some rope and some webbing. And the nozzle and backup? The nozzle and backup. They were, they were tied in. They were secured. We started trying to put water on it. Weren't too successful at first because we needed more pressure. We were falling about 10, 15 feet short. Yeah, well, here we are in Manhattan, right? That's why high-pressure pumpers, third-stage pumpers came into play at this. I asked who was supplying the standpipe, and it was three-engine. And I said, I'm going to need more pressure. And uh, he sounded like the guy from Star Trek. I'm giving it all I got, Chief. <laughs> uh, he goes, I'm pushing 450 and my rig is shaking. So right then, the chauffeur for 54 engine, he jumps on. He goes, uh, Chief, uh, I got my rig. I'm, I'm going to pull up to uh, their third stage pumper. You know? their, yeah. Yeah, 26 was hooked stage. up across the street. Their third stage yes. pumper. Yeah. 54 said he had it. So he hooked up. He worked in conjunction with the chauffeur three engine. And um, 
they got us good pressure. Once we got pressure, we, we were putting water right on the engine compartment. And uh, amazing things happen when you put water on something that's on fire. <laughs> things settle down. Fire's out, and the searches, I mean, I guess you, you probably had a lot of coordination. You had another chief up there with you to, to make those searches. Mm -hmm. And that's the basis of all the high-rise stuff, staging areas and just having the, the, the personnel on hand. And we could talk so much. There's so many other things I'm interested in, but there's one thing I don't want to gloss over, the drone operations. Yep. You know, you see them now, they're, yep. they're playing a, a bigger part. And, yeah. But something like this is custom made for them. So they respond on the collapse matrix. So command tactical arrived and they set up their, their command module at the They're command drone post. unit. Correct. They played a significant role in the whole incident for the command staff. What they did was they surveyed number one, the water application. Were we hitting it? Were we not hitting it? Do we need to adjust the stream? Augment it, etc. Is there another vantage point? We had attempted a second multiversal from another building across the street. We thought maybe it would have an impact, but it didn't, so we shut it down. And we could see that from the, the command post uh, via the drone. Then what happened is the other agencies started arriving, the buildings department, OEM, and so forth. What we did was they surveyed the collapse area, looking at the debris field, including the building across the street that had some debris hanging out of it precariously. Then they surveyed the tower itself, you know, to get a closer look at those tiebacks and so forth, to see if the stability was still there or if we had a collapse concern. And then the other thing they were looking at was the hoistway elevator where the jib arm hit on the north part of it. Once we knew we had no elevators in that building, we were trying to see if there was any way that we could use those construction hoist elevators. Even if it was just to put our equipment up and send it up, but they wouldn't let anybody in until it was fully surveyed. So everybody was walking. But the drone and all those aspects, it was great because as the subject matter experts started coming up with questions, the chiefs could tell the officers from Command Tactical, this is what they want to see, and they would survey it for them, and they would have a, a live stream view of it. Really so it was, it was key. Something that we didn't have. Absolutely. And they, and they flew a lot. I mean, they have the ability to keep recharging batteries on scene and everything. I mean, even the buildings department knew that they said, this is going to take a long time for us to walk up there. So it was good. They gave everybody a quick assessment of, of conditions and if it was going to be you know dire or stable at that point. Sure, you've been through enough after actions and mm -hmm. talked about it. Any like takeaways? Mark, I'll start with you. You've been to enough of these things. I don't know what this any chief out there has been to more. A lot of the things that I, that was going through my mind were things that I learned the first couple of times I went through these things. Yeah. You know, I never would have thought to look for tiebacks, except that that's what caused the first crane to collapse was the tieback. You know, I think working in Midtown, I'm always wary of something falling down from the sky from me. So I'm always looking up. Whenever we have something where something fell from a building, mm. I'm always got at least at least one set of eyes. That's their job to watch what's what's up there. If something starts to shift, something starts to fall, at least. We have a little bit of warning before something falls and hits us in the head. How about you, uh, Chief? So probably the biggest takeaway is a crane on fire. And it doesn't matter if it's a tower crane, a crawler crane, no matter what. If it has some sort of a, you know cable, a structural part of it, if it's on fire, prepare for the collapse zone initially. I mean, I looked at the times on this incident from the field comm report. We only had a five-minute response time. And I, I was guesstimating anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes the most that that was maybe burning prior to our arrival. I, I mean, it was pretty early on because so many people saw it, so the phone calls were coming in. We're used to that 20-minute rule in this job, right? You know, that that's usually our make-or-break point. Maybe 10 minutes, 15, but not upon arrival. I mean, we didn't even stop the car yet. We were still in drive to have that fail that early. But in learning from the crane industry about the crane and so forth, now we, we have a lot more information. You know, the, the stream application across the street, whether it was 100% effective or not, is debatable. But I will tell you this, when people arrived early on, 
and they saw that, put the game plan in everybody's mind that we're going we're gonna to succeed at this. We're already operating. We have a, a plan in effect. And it just kept everybody going because all the units, as they came up, said, what do you need? And we just started divvying out assignments. It all, it all just fell into place. Yeah, yeah, and it worked out great. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys coming on. This has been really informative. Mark, your experience, to have 18 years as a chief in the 8th Battalion, that's a unique skill set. That just means I've been around too long. Yeah, <laughs> call it what you want, but you stand in front of the building, you want you, want you out there. You know, in most of your career, 38 years spent in Manhattan, that's... Uh... You pick up a lot of things working. In the, in the neighborhood, and that's our, that's our neighborhood. Yeah. High rise, you know, they don't call us the high rise capital of the world for nothing. Yeah, you know? that's it. Right in the midtown Manhattan, eighth and the ninth, right, and then the sixth and the seventh. You know, we, our relationship, we work hand in hand. Like we listen to the radio constantly to see what the other one is doing. Like Mark says, we listen to see if something's going on. Maybe we're going to start heading over. You know, let's help Mark. You know, let's help John, etc. The relationship between the east and the west side, or the south, like the seven, eight, nine, especially, is very tight because we run in on the same incidents all together, and the units. I'm telling you, they work phenomenal, you know, and that was a big part of this whole incident. It was a very unusual incident, but once again, the membership stepped up and just did what they had to do. There was a lot of adapting and improvising what we're going to do, and they did it. And, and once again, we were successful on it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we had a chance to sit down and talk about it. All right, well, listen, I appreciate you guys coming down. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to FDNYPro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.